when it comes to intergenerational trauma, healing, wounds, moving forward, baby, we have gotten really good at using all the terms. (laughs) From our threads on Twitter to the IG carousel posts, like we've gotten really good at using a lot of therapy-based language. But then once we're done, what are we going to do about it? How do we move forward? Now, listen, I'm not saying that we have all the answers, but this podcast episode right here is definitely a start. But what do I know? What does like intentionally wanting to heal Mm -hmm. that lineage? When you think about that, what do you visualize? I maybe right now I can only think as like as proximate as like black people and mm-hmm. like African communities, maybe Caribbean yeah. ones as well. Yeah. Um, drop pride. Mm. Like I've said it to you, Chad. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to come here and try to be like, yeah, here's my six figure husband and my child who's a doctor. Today. I'm yeah. like, my, car, my kid is just and chilling that's right exactly now. Like what we'll, it is. we'll talk through it. Right. Mm. Because there was once upon a time I took a year off to go live in a box because yeah. I just didn't know what to do with my life. Right. Yeah. Like if I have a kid doing that, like, that's not an embarrassment that's like a reflection of like hey like they have the liberty to do that and i'm supporting them maybe they might feel more supported through you so like putting pride aside is really big this is but what do i know podcast which hits suzanne a space for affirming for learning and for healing a podcast and community where we're exploring our but what do i know moments in hopes that it helps you the listener overcome yours you ready Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the But What Do I Know podcast. I'm your host, Chit Suzanne, and I just want to welcome you all to yet another episode. It's Wednesday, and we have, you know, just the right episode to get you through the rest of this week. And boy, do I need to make it through the rest of this week because, ooh, and I say I'm tired, I am tired. <laughs> but before we go any further, if this is your first time tuning in and listening to this podcast, Thank you. Thank you for stopping by and listening to this episode. You know, I hope that you enjoy the conversation and the segments that you hear on this podcast episode. You know, be sure to make sure that you are following us, you're liking, you're subscribed on whatever streaming platform it is that you used to listen to the podcast, especially if that is Apple or Spotify or Amazon Music. This just helps the algorithms, you know, just keep on recommending us to more and more and more potential listeners. And for the OGs that have been here since we started, I appreciate you. You know, I appreciate all the feedback that we've been getting as the podcast has just grown over the years. I just can't say thank you enough, especially getting us to this point three years in, not even, we're not even up to three years and we're now getting 10,000 downloads a month. And I'm just so, so, so grateful. So Listen, y'all, if you're not following, follow, subscribe, share it with a friend who, you know, will enjoy this content because it's on and popping. Like we are, we're out here. We are really, really out here. I feel like I'm making a stamp in the podcasting community with this podcast. And I'm just so, so, so happy and grateful. So with this being said, of course, we are an audio format first podcast. But if you would like to see, you know, visuals for our main segment conversations with our guests, You can definitely check that out on our YouTube page. But what do I know podcast or BWDIK podcast? Because I know YouTube has YouTube handles now. So you can definitely go ahead and check us out. We have visuals for some of our main segments up there. We will be putting up some more. I know we've sort of slowed down a little bit, but we will be putting up more. You can also check out our Instagram page at BWDIK podcast. That's where you can kind of see behind the scenes. We've previously done some guest takeovers where guests have been showcasing their days, their lives, their work. We also have, you know, BTS snippets, reels, all of that lives on our Instagram page at BWDIK podcast. So if you want to be a little bit more connected and integrated, you can find that on our Instagram page. We are working on further developing our Geneva community and you'll be hearing more about that in the future. So stay tuned. But yes, there will be even more places for us to commune and be in community with each other in the near future. And I'm really, really, really excited. All right, let's go ahead and get into our current segment for this episode.
All right. So to start off our Cluen segment for this episode, we're going to start by talking about the results for the mayoral election that took place here in the city of Toronto just earlier this week. So over the past few you know, weeks and months, I've been talking about this election. And so over the weekend and on Monday, y'all took to the polls, Toronto listeners, and you voted. And, you know, although we were hoping and we had our fingers crossed and we were really, really, really just campaigning hard for Chloe Brown to win, Chloe Brown didn't win. But Olivia Chow did win and she's still a very progressive candidate. Well, now mayor-elect, um, Olivia Chow, you know, she campaigned a lot on affordability, on improving public services. And she's already announced that her first sort of action is going to be approving social housing for City of Toronto, approving social housing projects that have been in a backlog, approving housing projects that have been in the backlog that, you know, are sort of lagging. And so that is definitely good to hear. You know, we definitely need some affordable housing approved and built ASAP in the city. Like, oh, it's very, very, very needed. Um, And so I'm definitely happy about that. You know, I would have loved to see Chloe, but Olivia definitely, she ran a very good campaign. She had really good, strong points and her platform was similar to Chloe. I feel like Chloe had a very comprehensive plans for each campaign. She had a plan. She had very detailed numbers. And I feel like Olivia's campaign wasn't as thorough, but she she's appearing to be, you know, progressive. She seems to really care about the city. And so far, she's, you know, she's saying that, you know, here's what I'm going to do. We're tackling affordable housing first. We'll get into public services. So fingers crossed. Let's see how the next few years go. But um, but yeah, Toronto, we have a new mayor that seems to actually care about our city <laughs> and seems qualified, educated. They have a background in politics and city planning and all that. So I'm really excited to see how this goes. I'm just fingers crossed that this is not a disappointment, but I'm looking forward to seeing what work is done over the next few years. And um, yeah, when it comes time for the next election, you know, we'll we'll have to reflect back and see how this term went. But yeah, Toronto, we have a new mayor. All right. So it's kind of become a little tradition that every summer I share, you know, events, festivals, concerts that are taking place here in the city of Toronto. So, you know, this weekend is the long weekend. It is Canada Day long weekend. So I know we're going to be barbecuing. We're going to be going to day parties and, you know, having a good time and outside. But, you know, just after that, next weekend, um, we do have Sauce on the St. Clair and Afrofest taking place on the same weekend. So if you want to be at Afrofest, you can definitely attend. That's going to be at Woodbine Park. It's free to attend. Of course, you can, you know, buy food from vendors and you can definitely get your dashikis, your kente print, all of that at uh, at Afrofest. You can definitely listen to some, you know, some Afrobeat music, some traditional music. That's all going to be from July 7th to July 9th. So while that's taking place from the 7th to the 9th, we've got Salsa on the St. Clair that's going to be taking place on the 8th and the 9th. And um, this is going to be taking place at St. Clair Avenue West between Winona Road and Christie Street. And this is going to be on Saturday from noon to 10 p.m. And then on the Sunday from noon to 8.30 p.m. There are a bunch of DJs. There are dance instructors that are going to be showing up to teach people how to salsa. It's going to be some food. Latin music, like what's not to love. So both cultural events taking place next weekend. I'm definitely excited. I was talking to a friend and we're like, ooh, we might have to hit up Afrofest for a little bit and then <laughs> make our rounds to sauce on the St. Clair. Like what you think? So I'm definitely excited for that. Toronto in the summer, just the energy. Like I just love it. It's something about the atmosphere. Everyone's just out. Everyone's having a good time. Like it's it's just so fun and just, oh yeah, it's it's amazing. I love it. Speaking of summer, our song of the week for this episode definitely gives, you know, summer vibe. And it's a song that I found out about recently, actually. And I found out about it, you know, while cruising on TikTok, while <laughs> while watching various TikToks of the day parties and seeing what songs people were using in the background. And I came across the song called Nice and Slowly by Shay Jacobs. So Shay is definitely, you know, an African Brit artist. I wasn't able to confirm the exact nationality, but they're definitely African Brit. The song is a vibe. It's definitely day party certified. You can definitely listen to this at a day party. You can, you know, groove to this. You can dance to this. It's also passed the car test for me. I enjoy listening to it while I'm in the car and I'm definitely looking forward to more music that Shay Jacobs will, you know, release in the future. So let's go ahead and get into Nice and Slowly by Shay Jacobs. Give me life, make your mind up for it. I do you nice and slowly. Now come and wind up for me. 
I keep it wet, wet, wet. Oh more, give me life, make your mind up for it. I do you nice and slowly. Now come and wind up for me. I keep it wet, wet, wet. Girl, I they give you every season. We they shy from the morning to the evening. Baptize you when it's loving, you gon' feel um. Get you freaky, freaky, baby, I didn't need um. Go side to side, baby, drop, drop. One time, two time, make a drop, drop. You know how they change your life, how they top, top. So on my summer, you know, my summer fun playlist right after, you know, Taliban's by Byron, right after Who Told You by J. Hassan Drake, the song that just came out recently is this song right here, Nice and Slowly by Shay Jacobs. And I'm definitely enjoying it. Y'all enjoy that. Get into that this week and make sure you check it out on all streaming platforms, wherever you find your music. You can definitely check this song out there. Right. It's about that time where we get into our main segment conversation. One of my girlfriends, you know, was back in the studio with us. Estelle is back. You know, I feel like every time she's on, we always get into some sort of a vulnerable conversation. Last time she was here, you know, we talked about a body image and, you know, body neutrality, body positivity. Y'all should definitely check that episode out. And this time, you know, we're talking, you know, family matters. We're talking intergenerational impact. We're talking about bridging and healing wounds across various generations. And this is part one, because after this very personal conversation with Estelle, our next conversation is going to be with a therapist and a practitioner to sort of dive into this a little bit more and to help us understand how to further heal and make an impact. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. I hope you all enjoy our part one. Let's go ahead and get into this. So for our main segment for this episode, this is going to be, I feel like a very solemn, wholesome conversation. Um, I've wanted to have this conversation for a really long time. And our guest and I have had lots of conversations about this off mic. And I wanted to make sure that when we had this conversation for the podcast, that I wasn't just using my friend for content oh, <laughs> or exploiting, exploiting you. people for their trauma. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, I'm grateful to have you to, you know, get deeper into this. But um, our conversation today is going to be on intergenerational trauma. We're going to talk things, you know, inner child, inner child healing, all that stuff. And this is part one because we will have a follow up conversation with a therapist to kind of take this deeper. So everyone, Estelle is back, you Hi. know, <laughs> friend of the podcast. You know, she is done schooling or almost done. Yeah. So she's, of course, you all know her as a content creator, which we mentioned before. But she's also a hospitality and tourism management professional. So your girl is planning events, doing the thin out here. <laughs> so um, Estelle, welcome back to the podcast. How are you, you doing? How have you me. been? I mean, I've been traveling, mm -hmm. you know, event planning, mm -hmm. deep into my career. So I'm really having fun with that. And also been enjoying the pod. Yes. You've been doing amazing stuff. So. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, okay, so whew, intergenerational trauma. I feel it's like this is going to be a heavy conversation, but I'm like yes, looking forward to it. This is going to be a heavy one, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Is that is it weird to say that I'm excited? No, okay, I'm excited because I just feel like there are certain depths that we're going to get to. Oh, I'm ready. Depths. Okay, so let's start off this way. Um. We're talking about intergenerational trauma. I feel like this is something that has become, I don't want to say sensationalized, but we hear like trauma is, I think, overused. Inner child is becoming another one that's very mm -hmm. <laughs> overused. And a lot of times we don't really break down what these things mean. And I think because we're sort of in a woke era or psychology and sociology have become very mainstream, we're using these words and we don't really know what they mean mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Right. So we're going to break those down in this episode. But to begin with, we're going to take a back. Mm -hmm. So I want to know what your childhood was like. Like, could you share as much as you want to share, as much as you're comfortable sharing with us? Uh, what was your childhood like? And what was that coming of age story for you like? Um, I think when like people think about like trauma or like long lasting impact, people like they're waiting for like these really like crazy stories. I lived here and I was running from this. I, no, I lived in a nuclear home. My mom and my dad were married. I have two younger brothers. Right. I grew up in like 
community. So a lot of people like involved around us, may that be like our neighbors and stuff like that. Mm. I grew up in like Toronto housing for a long time, Mm -hmm. which is uh, for non-Canadian listeners like subsidized like government subsidized housing because yeah. my parents were low income which is common yeah. for a lot of immigrants yeah. when they first come to to canada exactly yeah for sure and then um you know i grew up with a lot of people that i've known like from like the moment we were like in diapers up until like mid high school or like grade seven and eight mm. we moved to the suburbs and then that's when things were a little bit like mm, shaky or at <laughs> least where i can like pinpoint it at first where it was very obvious mm. and then kind of like university and then now going into adulthood so mm. very nuclear at like surface value like mom dad brothers cousins school back home after school programs here and there it's just between those things where you're just kind of like i didn't realize how much of an impact mm. a lot of those things had or certain events in those life times had and so, some people don't even like consider those but of course mm-hmm. while i'm going through the work of stuff i'm like damn yeah yeah that's fair yeah so are there memories good or bad that you can kind of like look back on for your childhood and they you can say that they were either like the turning point for some things or they stayed with you and shaped you in some way mm-hmm. good or bad a little bit of both okay i think what's I'm trying to be really careful for of is not creating um, bad memories out of things that I always thought were good Mm -hmm. memories. Mm -hmm. Because I think as you get older, there's certain things that were presented to you and you thought that was like a standard or you were used to it. But then you didn't necessarily realize that they were Mm -hmm. like things that did have like a negative impact on you. Right. Until like you're later down the road and you're dealing with someone, you're like, that is not a healthy way to like deal with stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe that is a bad memory. Right. Yeah. So. At face value, I would say that I had a pretty like neutral. I, I I don't necessarily call my childhood this like utopic and it was great and stuff like that. But I did have a lot of support when it came to like the community around us. And there's, there's things I still value and hope to bring on into my mm-hmm. upbringing when I like have children or not or whatever. Mm? <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't necessarily be like, it was so hard and like, uh. right, right. You know, you're no stranger to this next question. I'm going to ask you. This is the But What Do I Know podcast. So I'm interested to know if you've had any like, but what do I know moments in terms of when when people are having conversations or when you're being when you're talking about intergenerational trauma and a child healing, if you've had any moments where you're like, I don't really understand or like, I know that I had some trauma. I can't really pinpoint it or I can, but I don't know how to work through that. Like, mm-hmm. and then if you did, you know, how did you overcome that? So I think like the biggest thing for me, and this is something I like discuss when it comes to like romance, like all forms of like relationships mm-hmm. is like being in tune with like all your feelings and not necessarily putting right. like a negative connotation to it. For me, it was like, I'd be like listening to like, especially like my black friends, mm. like what their relationships were like with their siblings and their like parents and stuff like that. And then there was like this sense of like jealousy that I had where I would like mm. hear about like people being like, oh, like, can I call my mom? Like, I'm going to call my mom because I have this issue. I'm going to call like my sister because I have this issue. And then I would be like, oh, like you trust your parents and not even that you trust. I'm like, oh, like you're in trouble. You're not running to hide this issue from them. You're actually running towards them. Right. And then so it made me feel kind of a type of way. Mm-hmm. But then because I was just kind of like, the idea of like all relationships are different. You're not supposed to compare your relationships to like what you have. Mm. I was always kind of like, okay, maybe this is how it works for them. My relationship with my family works this way and this is how it's it's good. But then the more I just started to grow in like envy and like jealousy and like reluctancy about like the relationship I had, I was like, there's something missing in my relationships. And I'm not wrong to feel this way. I yeah. actually need to address it. Yeah. How do I maneuver it? Like, I'm still figuring that out. Right. Um, but right now, like, sometimes, like, people will ask me, like, what is it that you want in relationships? I, I don't necessarily know how to tell you exactly what I want, but I can tell you what I don't want. Mm. Because I have more experience with the things that, like, um, I'm actively rejecting in my life than I do how to, that I have more experience with the things what that I want, want in my life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. I appreciate the honesty that you're still working through it. Yeah. I really appreciate that, honestly. Like, and it's, I know it's, it's easy to kind of want to say, well, you know, like this is the moment that I had and I overcame it this way. But sometimes it's like, and I think that, you know, me and you have had lots of conversations about this. We're both still 
Like we're at such a pivotal time right now. Like mm-hmm. we're growing, we're figuring things, we're forming the relationships that we want to form with our friends. Mm-hmm. We're doing the best we can with our familial yeah. relationships. And trial then, you and know, ex- a yeah. lot of trial and error. Like I'll call Chad and I'll be like, yo, like I'm going to do this. It might be stupid because I don't know how it's going to work out. But, but <laughs> we're experimenting. We're, let's just go. And then you, because I have that open space with you and yeah. other uh, my friends, if it doesn't work out, I can't call you and boohoo cry exactly. about it. <laughs> I'd be like, so I tried it, and, like, and it didn't work out. It didn't really work out. I still but... left feeling real stupid. Exactly, but it is what it is. Like yeah. at least you know we tried it, and I know that like that's the thing I really like about our friendship is that it's a safe space where like I know that, and that's what I really liked it about it. And I know we joke about the fact that like you know we're both first daughters of like yeah. African households. Household. Yeah, and I I think that. I don't know. It's almost made it like a safe space for our our friendship. Of course it has. You know, because I feel like I can shed that in my friendship. You know, like you, Clarissa, who's also a first daughter. Yes. Like, I feel like it allows me to be like, oh, I've been a first daughter everywhere else. It's a support group that we need for one another. Listen, (laughs) I had some point in my life where a bunch of my friends were middle children. And I was like, why is there chaos in my life? Yeah. Because everybody was a middle child. Right. So, So this is so helpful. And I feel like it allows us to like, even when I'm like, okay, everyone is looking at me like big chair doing this. I can come and be like, yo, guys, yeah. like this is what really happened. Yeah. I'm fucked up. Like, <laughs> like they think I got my shit yeah. together, but I'm really crying at yeah, home. It's hard because so, like people will like look at you. And even when you are crying to them, they're like, no, but you like you're someone who will always figure it out. Like, I know you got this. I'm like, bruh, I don't. I'm telling you, I don't. Yo. Yeah. So. This, um, oh, my God. First of all, this is great because this ties to the next question that I have for you, which is. What trauma do you think that, like, where do you sort of think that the trauma that you carry sort of stems from? Like mm-hmm. a, the relationship dynamics and situations that have sort of occurred, whether in the home or, you know, as you grew and stuff, like, like we mentioned your childhood. And, you know, without jumping, what you, what you literally just said with the whole like support group and even when you're crying, people look at you and they tell you that, you know, you're going to be okay. That for me is one of them. Yeah. Like when people look at me and they assume that like, Oh, you're oh Chid, you're going to be fine. Like, Chid, you're fine. Like, I know you. You're going to be fine. Like, you always figure it out. And I'm like, I will. But why do you assume that? Assume I that, that I will. And I understand, you know, maybe part of it is that I need, like, I'm like, I, maybe I need to break in public more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I just, and I've had to tell this to even, like, the men that I date, the people that I see, the friends around me that I don't, like, if I'm expressing that I'm, like, hurt about something or I'm really venting about something, don't tell me that. I'll be fine and I'll figure it out. Yeah. And I'm still kind of working through, I think, because for a lot of my childhood, I just had to kind of be figuring things out. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to let you take it from here. Yeah. um, A lot of it comes from family dynamics, Mm -hmm. like being the eldest daughter. And Mm -hmm. like, like I said, like I do have like a nuclear family. Like I had like my mom and my dad and like me, my my brothers and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And like my aunts and my uncles were a big support. Mm -hmm. But I think in all family dynamics, there's your like, direct family so the people you live in your home with and then your extended family and then the dynamics within that home also dictate a lot of things that you live like quite literally 24 7 and so like um yeah like my dad would come home put food on the table and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but you know like my brother was sick for a couple of years when i was a lot younger like we were dealing with like the hospital for a lot of years and then like when you're living in like situations like that like the like cps is thrown in your face a lot um extreme security because you're not necessarily in the best neighborhood so it's like you go here you go home you don't have always like necessarily the liberty to just kind of like roam around freely in like the white picket fence neighborhoods like you're a little bit more hyper aware of your 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 environment in addition to being like a black young girl like i feel like sometimes i think about like some of my first instances of being hyper aware of like how i'm perceived in the world or at least as like a woman Mm. um like I like I can tell you about like my first instance. We were like living in a building and we'd like walk to get into the lobby and there's mm-hmm. like benches and like these older men would just like sit there and like kind of like have like boy chat with each other. I remember going through it and my mom told me like to take off my jacket and wrap it around my waist to cover myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't think too too much about that, but like it starts imp- getting imprinted right? in your mind. And yeah. so as mm-hmm. you get older and like you know you think about like some of the smaller things and how that affects how like I view myself and my body. How I feel about protecting myself, like even the dynamics that I have with my mother and like how she views like like maneuvering through the world. Like there's certain things that I didn't necessarily be able to go talk to her about. And then as I got older, um, you know, you you put yourself in these situations where it's like 
this generation knows how to express this thing and mm. who has this belief and this generation doesn't. There's, of course, going to be a clash, which is completely normal. I think what starts to go beyond normal is how they actually want to interact with it and how much right. resistance there is mm. and then how much resistance creates conflict. And then from there, it's like, where do you go? And that's where... Right. like That's where they could... Yeah. yeah. This like static. a lot of the the resistance, let's say, like started around like early high, like high school. So like middle school, grade seven, grade eight mm -hmm. started becoming straight up conflict later down the road where it was like, we can't go back from conflict anymore because now it's just like we're constantly clashing. clashing. Yeah. Mm. So I think a lot of impact or like trauma, like I don't necessarily use the word trauma all the time. Right. I like, I, yeah. But like it's it's hard to to when you're like going through it and you're trying to like break generational trauma and stuff like that and you're being really intentional mm -hmm. about things. For me, when I think people, when th people say things like I'm traumatized or I have a lot of trauma, in my head, trauma is very long lasting. Mm. It's hard to like break through to it. And that's yeah. not where I'm trying to be in my life. So I don't necessarily call things like trauma right. if I'm not struggling too, too hard with it or I don't want to struggle for it, with it too long. I consider it more of like impact because to okay. me, impact like can be reversed. Yeah. Or it can be worked through. Just trauma just sounds like such a harsh word to yeah. me. But yeah. like, I, I'm not saying that it's not to be used. Yes. Just for me personally, my vocabulary, how I like go about You're it. Yeah. Right. Okay. I like the word impact. Yeah. Because it, yeah, like you can definitely negative say the verb, impact it has and positive impact. impact yeah. and it has created that trauma. You know? just sounds straight yeah. negative. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. No, that's definitely fair. Wow. No, that's true. And I think that, again, I like that you said it too, because sometimes we use the word trauma and <laughs> some of us really should be using the word impact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so I definitely hear that. So when you, you know, going back, you said, you know, there were times like at the beginning of high school where there was sort of clashes between yourself and like different um, like family members mm -hmm. or, you know, familiar relationships. What were those clashes surrounding as much as you want to tell us? Yeah. Girl. <laughs> OK, so like I think first and foremost, like there's this weird thing that happens with like first daughters mm. um, when they start to get into positions where they're finding their voice in the household. And it becomes this dynamic of we gave you all this responsibility to be somewhat the head of the your household. siblings and your household. Like, you know, when yeah. we're out to work, like you're the one taking care of this. You're mm -hmm. responsible for this. If anything goes wrong, like it's on you. It's on you. And so then you take on this pseudo third parent role mm -hmm. and being a part of like a different generation. There's information that I know. There's things that I start to question because I've had to take on more responsibility. And then it starts to be discredited because they view you as overstepping right and then they start talking down on you mm. so then it was a matter of like i thought you know i was getting into my big girl zone and they were let like fostering that mm. so then it started becoming like i'm independent i can do this mm -hmm. right but it's like no you're not like we need you to be under this leash right. so that was the first part of it and then also like i've always and i've talked about this in the the previous podcast about like my my own appearance and how that like yeah like made me feel mm -hmm. like you know, you get your first wave of puberty, your your hips widen, yep. people start paying attention to you and so on and so forth. Um, that wasn't really like welcomed in like a healthy way. It started making me feel very weird. There was a lot of comments about like my weight, mm. even before it was actually an issue. Mm -hmm. And I don't want it. And when I say before, I'm like, it should have never been. Mm -hmm. But it was just like, you know, you're not allowed to wear this. And then now I started yeah. comparing myself to my friends. Um, you know, they would make comments about like my weight and how like that, like, Basically how it made me feel like lower in like my perception of everything I would do would be like like a birthday cake or whatever. And, you know, they'd be like, OK, no birthday cakes for this year because oh, you need wow. to be watching what you're eating kind of thing. So you're, mm. it's, it goes yeah. into your body, like your reward system, because if your family doesn't necessarily celebrate a lot of things, like you're looking forward to a birthday cake. But like now that's taken away for some reason. Right. Um, even right. like uh, we moved and like I thought that like moving like I could handle it as mm. a kid because I was like okay we're t getting out of this housing situation we're getting into a better place and I thought that me expressing my discontent of being taken away from my friends and you know something that was familiar for me for a really long time was me being ungrateful but realistically speaking two things can be true at once it is mm. hard to move and you're being put into a very a strange place yeah it doesn't mean I'm ungrateful for what they they were doing but I struggled a lot because, you know, we're for us, let's say it was the equivalent of going into high school. Yeah. Like everybody, we finish elementary and like French systems and you go into grade seven and mm -hmm. that's like the secondary school. 
I went to a different school, brand new people, was getting bullied hardcore. Nobody wow. was listening to me. Wow. And then it was the type of thing where it was like, mm-hmm. oh, Estelle's just being dramatic. And so it just, that was like a big thing. So like me asking for help and crying about things, mm-hmm. I don't do that often because I've been in situations from a very young age where I was like sobbing mm-hmm. and it wasn't taken seriously. And I was just like, okay, cool. This doesn't work. I need to like adjust right. and self-soothe. And I don't even consider it self-soothing because it's just like hiding yeah, your feelings. Like yeah, self-loathing. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of just like having to manage things and like isolate myself and make sure I just don't cause any, tr- like, cause any trouble mm. when things are getting hard because it was always taken as she's just trying to make things mm-hmm. bigger than it is to make it inconvenient. Yeah. Yeah. So me and you have had this conversation where it's like that relationship between us and our parents or guardians starts to shift at a point where you're going through like this Mm self-discovery. And then it's almost like your ideals, the things that you're going through, what you've has been instilled in you. There kind of comes a point where it's like there's like a battle between both. And. There's always this kind of like perception of like, okay, by the time like the person goes into the younger adults and they're kind of like 20, 21, 22, it phases out. But between those like six, 14, even, I would say like 14 to like 20, mm-hmm. there's some real like tension, conversations, ideal questioning, self discovery that mm-hmm. goes on. That can sometimes clash with your parents, your guardians, that causes a lot of like resistance mm-hmm. in the household, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so I definitely agree because I feel like like I really enjoy the relationships that I have right now with my parents, especially my mom. Mm-hmm. But that relationship was one that took work. Like I remember when I was like 15, 14, 15, 16. I and now I look back at it, I don't even know necessarily what the root of it was. I mm-hmm. think maybe I just went to like have fun. I think mm-hmm. at that point in my life, I had been doing ever- a lot of things by like the book as a young child. And mm-hmm. then I also just wanted to belong. Mm-hmm. I was in a new school. I was in like, um, yeah, grade seven, grade eight, grade nine. I was, I just moved to Pickering in grade seven. Um, so I wanted to kind of like just belong. I wanted to have fun. It was also like weird things of being the only black girl in the Mm. elementary school and then i went to high school and then it was a different dynamic with other black people but yeah like when i look back at that time and i remember the relationship with my parents are like it was yeah and and it wasn't even like i was like out here Mm -hmm. dealing drugs and being bad but it just it was it was it was slightly intense yeah you know and i am not a parent i like and i think a lot of the the conversation that has to come when we're talking about generational trauma and people like where people still people's children in a sense yeah. is understanding that like parenting is not easy. Like it, not. they don't have a guidebook to it. So exactly. there's grace in that. But part of it comes with the responsibility of like, you are the elder, you are the parent. Like these are things that you need to understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, well, some, some things I will chuck it up to hormones. Sometimes I will chuck it up to being a teenager. That's like, exactly it. It is a very tumultuous time for our own self-discovery. You have given this person a voice. You have given them this person some sense of identity that now if anything is being supercharged with like a whole lot of information from the outside world you are to expect this yes you are to expect this and Mm so i i think that when i think about like those years especially when i talk to people i i feel like that's the defining time between good relationships with parents and and bad bad. yeah because at that point when you know that this 13 and 14 year old doesn't know anything but they're gaining so much information and trying to like maneuver into what they want to build their identity as Mm -hmm. and if you're just constantly stifling and being no you're taking away their ability to build their own identity yeah you're taking Mm -hmm. their way to for them to critically think Mm -hmm. you're taking away their ability to be like open with you about things right because i feel like half of these things that these kids are trying to figure out and what i was trying to figure out wasn't necessarily that i wanted to hide it they just created an environment for Where me to hide you, it. Right, but realistically, right. I wanted to have these conversations. I was yeah. calling cousins who were a little bit older than me to try to like talk through those things. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you you have this relationship with your parents that's or like the elder generation where it's like you are to be seen and not heard. Mm. And you can never like kind of go through like your line of thoughts. Cause sometimes it was as simple as just like, hey, like I was thinking about this mm-hmm. and I need to hear myself out loud, or I need someone who knows or has gone through this to tell me that it's 
not necessarily the smartest way to go about it. Don't tell me I'm stupid for thinking right, it because yeah, you yeah. thought about it once upon a <laughs> exactly, time. Exactly, exactly. Um, walk through with me. Don't make me sound like I'm irrational because at I'm only 13, 14. Of course, I'm going to sound irrational or yeah. I'm not going to make sense. Exactly. But um, if like, I think that the those relationships, unfortunately, just kind of get disqual yeah. like disqualified because they're like, you're young, you're stupid. Don't yes. talk to me about this. And that's yeah. it. That's yeah. it. And I think that's a lot of it too. And I know we've talked about the fact that like if parents or guardians would just, or the previous generation, like, you know, I understand, you know, you are the elders and you've lived through things and you are wise and mm -hmm. you have all this information to give to us. But if you would just, especially when it comes to the role of parenting, just sort of approach you with, listen, we're figuring it out together. together. This is my first time being a parent, the mm -hmm. same way it's your first time being a child and, and walking this earth and like living that. this life, you yeah. know? So if, if we would just approach it with that humility, I think that phase would be a lot smoother mm -hmm. and a lot less tumultuous. <laughs> yeah. Like, I remember I used to get in trouble a lot also in high school because, like, I talked back a lot. Mm. And at some point, like, I, I always say this. I was like, I didn't get as, susp <laughs> as suspended as often as I probably should have mm. <laughs> because I had teachers who, who had grace for me. Because if you really, like, went down into look into like what was I was causing trouble. Mm -hmm. It was always just because I needed to know the why. Mm -hmm. There was no way for me as like a teenager, especially to just listen to a teacher just because they said so. Yeah, I was exactly. always wanting to know why. And if the why was good enough for me, it didn't necessarily have to be the right reason. I know some adults are going to be listening to this like, oh, that's really entitled for this teenager to think that she needs an answer. Sometimes <laughs> I just need to understand why I'm doing something. Exactly. To feel like I have the confidence and the choice to do this with you. Exactly. I remember, yeah. like, you know, like when your teachers, newer teachers would have the principal come and watch them. So they'd yes. be like, so yeah, I have yeah, a one teacher yeah. specifically who asked yeah. me, she's like, Estelle, yeah. I know that you love participating, going back and forth, but just today, I just need you to just reel it keep back. Keep it back. <laughs> yeah. I was like, why? She's like, I'm getting evaluated. I was like, okay, I can do that for yeah. you. But tomorrow I'm going back to 100. <laughs> right? But like, of course, I wanted to be myself, but I knew that in that case, I just needed to participate and be like, yeah, calm. exactly. And this is, you gave me the why and I could go Ex with it. Right. A lot of like, it was the why. It was just the why. Like, a I just didn't like that authority was just thrown in my face like this because I would feel uncomfortable. Like mm -hmm. if I'm feeling comfortable intuitively and I, I'm just asking you, like, let's go through this together. Mm -hmm. Why do you think I'm being combative? I'm not. Yes. Yeah. I'm just ask, I'm just trying to understand why. Mm -hmm. Same thing with like roaming around. Like I never understood why like parents Moving thought around. it was like delinquent <laughs> to just chill at the mall and stuff like that and then you know you get a little bit older you you start seeing teenagers at the mall you understand peer pressure and doing things that you like being at the wrong place at the wrong time and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff you you get it a little bit more but like when they're just telling you no you're not going to the mall just because i said so you're just sitting there gallivanting out here uh, you're just like <laughs> i'm just gallivant if i'm not gallivanting i'm just sitting at home why 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 but they love us sit at home yeah <laughs> now i know you're at home safely mm -hmm. <laughs> um so one word that is getting really popular mm -hmm. is this idea of like your inner child and inner child healing. Mm -hmm. And everyone is going to touch the inner child. My inner child needs this. My inner child is this. Mm -hmm. So we like to define things here on this mm -hmm. podcast. We like, you know, words mean things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're not just to be used because they're fancy. Ooh, ain't that, ain't that <laughs> the right thing to say? <laughs> That's a word. <laughs> um, okay, so better help has an article um, and BetterHelp states that, you know, the inner child is defined as your child self from your past. It's essentially the childlike version of us that's usually hidden. It's, it's the hidden parts of a person. So when you think about your inner child, that childlike part of you that's, it, like it says, is often hidden or uh, you from the past, mm -hmm. um, what do you sort of think that your inner child needs right now to sort of keep your healing process going? I think a big, big part of it for me personally is that she should like, she just needs to be able to express herself and like mm. anything and emotionally sp specifically. Right. Um, we were not allowed to be really like expressive about like, I'm upset. Like what you're doing right now is making me sad or getting bullied was making me feel this way. And I'm uncomfortable about this. And third, mm -hmm. it was just like, hush, don't bother me. 
you're making this more complicated about things. Like, if, I don't know, like, I was given something and I just, I wasn't necessarily too happy about it. I just had to, like, sigh and, like, keep Mm -hmm. that closed, right? And then that progressed over the years because it was, like, like I said, I would have situations where I'd be, like, bawling my eyes out, be, like, super expressive about something. I was, like, you're either overdramatic, we're not handling, we're ignoring that completely. Mm. And I just had to manage my own self-soothing. Right. And then as I got older, I started realizing that I'd be in like really like situations that were like insanely uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I just did not have the capacity to express myself because it was something I never, like a muscle that I didn't practice. Right. And so like yeah. now while I'm going through healing, like I'll even call you Chid sometimes. I'll be like, Chid, it's the first time I cried this week. I'm so sorry. Yeah. But it's like, I'm crying for like 10 years worth With of crying, crying that I haven't literally, done, right? Literally. Or like when I get like annoyed by something, like, um... I like I speak with my face before I do with my words. Oh my, yes. And so like I'll be like looking at something and I'm just so unimpressed by it. And then I'm just like, it's all like chill out. It, it, like, and I'm like, no, I'm annoyed by this. Yeah. Like, I, I'm allowed to be annoyed by this. Mm-hmm. So just kind of like letting myself go through the emotions and let that be coming out easily. Mm-hmm. Because the idea is not to lack control of it, but it's like knowing how to recognize these emotions one by expressing them. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, maneuvering them once I've acknowledged what emotion it is. Yeah. It, completely ignoring it is not going to do anything for you. Absolutely. So if not. I'm in a situation, I'm like, I'm upset about this. Me being upset doesn't automatically go- mean I'm going to go into a fit or a rage that's going to be super expressive and inappropriate. Yeah. Me being upset about something is me realizing that I don't like this. I'm uncomfortable by it. Mm-hmm. How do I maturely handle it by still recognizing that it is me being upset or angry or whatever emotion it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's a good point. You said your inner child just wanted to express, express herself, herself and not be punished and still for it. Mm. That was a big thing. Yeah, I think my inner child just wanted some of the pressure release. Yeah, <laughs> that too. That's a big one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something I like. Even in a career, we talk about this. I don't want responsibilities right now in my life. There's a lot of things that, like, mm-hmm. I know. Of course, I have to take care of myself, mm-hmm. but. We talk about this in our positions and stuff. I just, I have no desire to like look over people. Yeah, I have no desire yes, to like I, I be really, responsible for a partner right now yeah, or like kids or oof. anything like that because I held that responsibility for a long time. Yeah, and yeah. having that off of my hands for a couple of years it's, should it's not nice. be considered selfish Mm-mm. or it should not be considered like uh, irresponsible. Mm-hmm. No, not yeah, at all. No. And you know, even as we talk about this too, it's almost like the thing with, especially us being, we're African, we're immigrants is, a lot of this was that a lot of this language is relatively new. Yeah. Right? That's the unfortunate part. Mm-hmm. And when I look at sort of the the life that our parents had to sort of like live, we're talking like pack up and leave pack up and leave your country, you're immigrating, you came here for greener pastures or you or your parents came here for greener pastures and then you kind of had to like carry that mantle. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pressure and not enough was not enough emphasis was put on your mental health. And even like, even at the simple basis, like if we're going to shift away from mental health for a second, even at just the basis of like, just your overall well-being. Yeah. And so it was very mechanical. Like I felt yeah. like it was wake up, I put food on the table for my kids, I provide. That's that. And that for them was sort of like taking care of the family, yeah. taking care of that household. Yeah. Right. And so now it's like, we're at this point where it's like, okay, we're seeing that we're seeing how hurt that generation also was too. Cause I give grace. Cause I understand a lot of it was that they had traumas, especially from the outside. You have racism, you have mm. capitalism, you have poverty. Immigration is not even like you, a necessarily like the greatest system. Imma- it's a very inherently racist system. You have immigration pressures on you. Yeah. You have kids that you need to feed. You are trying your best. So a lot of the times, it, oh my gosh, cultural shock. So a lot of the times you end up taking all of that. And you put it on your kids without even really knowing or you put it on those in your family. Right. And it's like, I just wish, you know, that they had the coping mechanisms or the tools or even the understanding at the very least that we have now, because a lot of that to them was just life. Like, this is just what we have to do. But now we're at this pivotal stage. And I also think it's a privilege to be at this pivotal it stage. It is a privilege. Like you were saying we're immigrants. And the first thing that came to my mind is that I was like, yeah. I always re- acknowledged I'm born here. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair. And that's also part of the reason why I carried a lot of guilt about uh, certain things. Because mm. um, being born here and then I have some extended family where their kids were like born back in Congo and then they're like they're here. 
they would kind of look at me and be like, oh, like, Estelle, like, you're talking about mental health. You're talking about this and third. What a privileged child. Or, mm. Like, you know, so it was like it was super invalidated because it was just like, that's a problem of here. Yeah. I, I remember going to like a family like gathering and the parents were talking about how their kids were being like uh, they were being disciplined. And then the kids would respond, you're hurting my feelings and you would cry. And they were oh, wow. laughing about that. And I remember back then being like, your child is telling you that you're making them feel a certain way. That yes, shouldn't be a like, that, joking matter. Like mm-hmm. your kid's trying to express themselves. Mm-hmm. But they didn't take it seriously because it's just like the kids here get to tell us yes, that they're hurting our feelings. I brought you feelings. to this country. I <sighs> did this. You know how much I went through and you want to say and tell me I'm, I'm hurting, hurting your, your feelings? feelings? <laughs> <laughs> your feelings going to be hurt. Yeah. And it's at that point you're just like, okay, well, like in hindsight back mm-hmm. then i was like oh wow like this kid is really courageous to even say that that's so right, stupid right but like now i'm like no this kid like straight up was telling you that like the way you're disciplining them is, is not, not working. working yeah yeah so with that do you then get nervous or do you have a fear of passing on some of that trauma some of the 100 down to you yeah. know the next generation and our kids yeah because i have a fear for that and i know me and you have talked about this like I don't want to have kids until I am completely comfortable with the fact that a child comes into this world as their own being. They have their own thoughts. They have their own ideas, Mm -hmm. the things that they want to do. And you only make that training or raising the child process worse when you then force yours on the child and the child is telling you no like yeah i want to do this but instead you know of that. that happens it's because these parents or such these adults are trying to live vicariously through their children yes and so my actually fear, yes yeah. that's a really good point because how many times do we see you know that the immigrant parent that has struggled uh-huh. and now is sacrificed their life and then now is saying, okay, I'm going to live through my child who yeah, is not a medical doctor. So that you can do so that you me. cannot fly. I walk so you could fly kind yeah, of thing. Or yeah. I walk so you could run. And it's like, I appreciate the sacrifice, but you mm-hmm. should have lived. Yeah. You should have really lived. Ooh. You should have really lived because then now, yes, you should really live because then now I feel like it would be less of a, you need to do this, 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 this on the child. Yeah. I yeah. like again, I'm not a parent, so I can't necessarily speak entirely through it. But like from my own experience, I think the biggest thing for me and just some comments that I've had, I've heard here and there growing up. Um, yes, I do have a fear, but I don't let my fear kind of like cancel like the idea mm. of like wanting to build a family, have a healthy marriage in the future. But right now I'm solely focused on feeling a little bit, no, a lot more fulfilled in my individual endeavors. Like yes. I never want to look yeah. at my kid. Yeah, your kid is supposed to have more than you have like mm. that is part of the selflessness of like parenthood yeah. and i think that people don't actually uh, like understand sure. what it is yeah, yeah, yeah. they say that they do but they don't because mm-hmm. a lot of parents are like jealous of their children especially when they make more do yeah. more have opportunities yeah. to live through things that they didn't necessarily have the liberty to do um yeah. and then jealousy especially the ones that acted out maliciously is shown between wow that's, um, that's real that's like real. The, the, those relationships But for me, like a big thing that I'm focusing on right now is being like, I don't have any kids. I am not even married. I'm not even in a relationship. Here are the things that are individually important to me that I want to try to fulfill as much as possible. If I make a mistake and I fumble, I go broke or whatever, I'm the only person who's impacted and let me thrive in that. So I don't turn around and I go, I play the safe route and I'm giving the life that you have. I'm living through you. Mm. Or like, oh, like, you know, when you see someone do... You know, when you see someone do something so daring and you almost want to call it stupid because it's not necessarily organized yeah. from A to Z. Right? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, what are you doing? And then they're like, I know, I'm just trying it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of go, oh, well, if I would have tried, these are the things I would have tried. Yes. Why didn't you just try it? Or yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Or like, I didn't have that. I didn't right? have the opportunity. And- that I, I've had conversations that like still impact me where I remember like um, being like, oh, I want to do this and I didn't get a chance to do this. And uh, the adults in my life would turn around like, well, these are the things I didn't get to do. And right. it's you sit there and you're like, well, now you didn't get to do them because you took on the responsibility of having children and right. taking all these things. So you don't have that time. Mm-hmm. Maybe when you didn't have that responsibility, that was your opportunity. That was right. You know? And I'm living through that time right now because I'm not responsible for anything but myself. Yes. So that I don't turn around in a couple of years when I am responsible for someone. And I like put that on them as if it's like it was their fault that I can't still try this. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And then the other thing, and I, I, I saw this in a TikTok and it like hits so different for me, is I don't think that people should be having kids um, just because it's fulfilling a dream that they want. Mm. I think that 
being ready to have kids or like coming close to it because I don't actually think people can be fully ready. Yes. Is wanting to give those people an opportunity to live through world. Like I know that a lot of people see like the world to be bad and things are going on. Yeah. But like I generally think of stuff like, oh, like I I can't wait to have a child so they get to meet Auntie Ched. Mm. I can't wait to have a child so they can meet Auntie Vin. Right. I have amazing friends. I have an amazing and loving partner, right? Like I want them to to see the world through this lens. I want Mm -hmm. them to to live the world through as like a half Congolese, half whatever I marry. Yes. (laughs) You know, like I want the children that I have to experience the world not for them for me to experience the children through life yeah. i'm living life without those kids or not like if they're here or not like i'm living through it mm-hmm. but they only come because i give them life yeah. and that shouldn't be like something i hold over their head oh, yes yeah. yes yeah. oh that's good yeah. it shouldn't be something you hold over their head no not at all so you know we talked about you know the fear that we have mm-hmm. And I think we're living through such a beautiful time right now because we're sort of that in-between generation. Like, mm-hmm. it's like we have one foot in the old, one foot in the, you know, like half conservative, half progressive. Exactly. You know, we see our parents, we're planning for the next generation. So when you sort of like visualize, especially for the BIPOC community, mm-hmm. you know, like we're talking like a black indigenous pe- people of color, like who do have this traumas that are, you know, might be internal from family or just external from racism and capitalism and wanting to like better your family lineage situation, alleviate mm-hmm. poverty, all that stuff, right? What does like intentionally wanting to heal mm-hmm. that lineage? When you think about that, what do you visualize? I maybe right now I can only think as like as proximate as like black people mm-hmm. and like African communities, maybe Caribbean yeah. ones as well. Yeah. Um, drop pride. Mm. Like I've said it to you, Chet. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to come here and try to be like, yeah, here's my six figure husband and my child who's a doctor. To I'm yeah. like, and my, my kid is just and chilling right exactly now. that's exactly what like, it we'll, is. We'll talk through it. Right. Mm. Because there was once upon a time I took a year off to go live in a box because yeah. I just didn't know what to do with my life. Right. Yeah. Like if I have a kid doing that, like, that's not an embarrassment. That's like a reflection of like, hey, like they have the liberty to do that and I'm supporting them. Maybe they might feel more supported through you. So like putting pride aside is really big. Yeah. Um, and also that's a really big part of like healing, like yes. humbling yourself. Yeah. Amongst that's like really good professionals point. and also within your community. Mm. Um, I think that people also understanding how like how different behaviors impact different people just because you were okay with the way your parents disciplined you yeah may be like very similar to how my parents disciplined me doesn't Mm -hmm. mean i necessarily was okay with it yeah you have one kid that might be like evenly tempered so like right discipline schedule yes and no's are good Mm -hmm. but you might have another kid who needs the explanation it doesn't make them worse off or less disciplined than the other kid right you might need to take more time to explain things to other people yeah so if you if I'm talking to you, right, let's say we had, actually, this is a good, example. like, the whole thing with the whole, like, you have the same parents and you guys get raised the same way, but the kids turn out differently. Yes. Because they're different individuals. Yes, yes, yes. So just because Absolutely. we all grew up in, like, these African households where mm-hmm. we have the same, like, experience when it comes to, like, discipline and stuff yeah. like that, if I'm traumatized by it and you're not, it doesn't make me, like, soft or overly, yeah. I'm just someone who doesn't deal with discipline that in way. In that particular way. Yeah. Yeah. And people should be open to being, like, okay, your kid's this kid doesn't seem to be responding well to this. This is what we do. This yes. kid might mean more talking. Mm-hmm. Other kids, yeah. some kids, if you pop yeah. them in the butt and they listen <laughs> that one time, good for them. But yeah. other kids, you need to like talk to them sternly and yes. that gets and that's to them what, Exactly. And it makes them walk away and like go rethink what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and lastly, I think asking for help. Yeah. That's a big thing. Like I know I just talked about humility and I just think that's like a, in terms of like assumption without knowing. But like I, I think I'm a big I, I think the one thing I really do appreciate with my childhood was a sense of community. So I don't I don't actually just think I only had one set of parents. Mm-hmm. I think I had like multiple, like mm-hmm. two sets of like adults in my life that like um, took care of me in some way, shape or form who presented themselves as some sort of parent forms. Yes. And they all had different ways of like interacting with me. And I think that's why like I am the person I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good. And that part of that is where I think that like asking for help and like creating community working gas can help. If my kid doesn't know how to talk to me because I don't necessarily have these like certain attributes, I feel like they should be able to go to you and right. my other friends because right. they're like, oh, you know what? Auntie Trade is more creative in this island. Yeah. Maybe she'll understand where I'm coming from. 
and be able to help me come and talk to my parents about that stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that side of like humility and putting like pride aside is like really big to me and like communicating and, and not being afraid to ask for help in that sense. Yeah. Is big. Like yeah. that's a really good point cuz I I was also going to say too like explaining the why's behind discipline behind, you know, whether whether you're offering help or you're saying I'm not going to help you with a particular thing or no you cannot have this particular thing or I don't think you should go down this route or this path like just explaining the why mm -hmm. and it's perfectly fine to say you know be, the why is because I did it when I was younger and this is how it turned out mm -hmm. you know that's fine I can absolutely use your life you know as an anecdote and and store that mm -hmm. but it might turn out differently for me right mm -hmm. so I think explaining the why's I really like the you know asking for help yeah I really I just thought of one more thing. Yeah. Also, um, I uh, understanding that your relationship with your children change over the years. Yeah. So like, that's a really good one. From zero to like ten, it's full on authority, not authoritarian, Dude, maybe but yes. like authoritative, right? Yeah. Like you're telling them what to do because they have no sense of guidance. Yeah. And then let's say like thirteen to like seventeen, it's more like um, consulting. So like, let's talk. Yes. Let's figure out what's the best decision. Mm -hmm. I am still an authoritative person because yeah. you're a minor. Yeah, but like we can talk about it. Yeah, and then, and then eighteen is advisory. Yeah, I don't have I'm any choice. at advisory. <laughs> Literally, I don't. I can't tell you what to do, but like. I'm just going to give you advice and then you, yeah. um, my hands yeah. are up. And Literally we'll advisory panel. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually so fast. I really, really like that. I understand that the relationship changes because I think a lot of the times like with African parents, you know, it, it's very authoritative, very, very, All very strict, strict, strict. And then somehow in like your early to mid 20s, it, you know, they want to switch it to become a friendship. And it's like, well, we should need to have really cultivated that, that over time. Mid 20s. For some of us, it's not until we get married. <laughs> And even then, yeah. now that's not even our choice because our authority is our husband. Yeah. I don't want to get into Ooh, that. That's another episode, girl. You went there. Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about I that one. I speak badly about anybody. <laughs> I just want to say something. We're going to talk about that one. But I feel like what, um, what also comes to mind, too, is I, I want, especially for, for Black people, I feel like we, when I think about like my childhood in Nigeria, like, we grew up in a compound and so I had my parents, but I had all my neighbors. Yeah. And when I, we go to the village, I had like my grandma before she passed away and the aunts and stuff. And I feel like we naturally or through history anyway, we have this very communal way of like raising a child. I know people say it takes a community to raise a child, yeah. but I feel like we really practice that. It, yeah. And I feel like other, you know, communities of color definitely, you know, had aspects of that as well mm -hmm. and i feel like through immigration through it movement lost. it gets lost it gets broken because yeah people need to make money and people are seeking greener pastures all that stuff but i really feel like that's a really big part of healing too I think western is, culture is just individualistic that too western culture it's is so individualistic. individualistic and that's why you start having things with people not wanting to talk to each other like exactly that. Yeah. you you immigrate and then now you have aunties not talking to each other you have so you know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like I really think that part of our healing is returning back to that communal way of like of of families and community of community yeah. of talking of passing down stories through the next gener generation of yeah just like less individualistic because yeah. we really did like that is part of us. Yeah. yeah, that's a big one for me. Yeah. 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 That's why I like right now like my family structure is no longer like what I would right. hope, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that while I struggle to still maneuver, like, you know, kind of being in this, like, individualistic part of my life and recreating family, like, a big part of it is, like, having chosen family. Yes. And so, like, I really do consider someone like you a chosen family and, right. like, and stuff like that. And, like, when we talk about things like our partners and our friends, mm -hmm. like, I take it so personally because I'm like, these are the people that I want to do life with. with right, and then here are the values right. that I want to instill. Mm -hmm. Like, when I, I don't know if I'm the rich auntie, I just still <laughs> want to be the rich auntie that's helping them, you raise your child as well, right? Right. So it's just like, um, yeah. when I think of community, like, I know, like, I've, I've broken away from my family, but it yeah. wasn't out of, like, screw this, I'm yeah. solo dolo, da, 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 da. like, no, 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 that's not the energy. It was, I just need to walk away from something that wasn't um, healthy for me mm -hmm. in the hopes that I can rebuild for something that is like a lot more fruitful from like things that I did right. love for my childhood and so on, mm -hmm. and then take it on and like the things that I'm learning through healing and stuff like that, recreate a new structure. So 
I was going to ask the final question as like, you know, do you think that us younger millennials slash Gen Z can kind of be that bridge in healing? And I kind of want to tie it to you personally. And if you're not comfortable answering this on the mic, you don't have to. Okay. But do you ever see yourself sort of being that bridge and taking what you've learned about healing and kind of quote unquote returning home, but <laughs> not like mm. you're the prodigal son, <laughs> mm. but like, you know, returning back to say, hey, these are the tools that I've learned for healing or this is where I'm at to kind of try to reconcile. Like, do you see yourself? So ever are, doing are that? we strictly talking about like generation differences? Yes. So if we're talking generation differences, unfortunately, I don't think so. Okay. I like, I, I, I do think there's always space for forgiveness and like reconciliation. Mm-hmm. But I think that like, oh, this is going to sound so morbid. Like these people have been in their ways for 50, 40 plus years. Yeah, like that's when fair. are you going like, to change it? Right. That's fair. Like, at this point in my life, like in order for me to kind of like reconcile mm-hmm. with people that I'm I'm not communicating with, it's going to take an apology and acknowledgement. And that's not happening. OK, I, that's fair. I, there's a very slim chance for it. If it comes yeah. to terms with it, then mm-hmm. sure. But mm-hmm. the little conversations that I've had here and there, it, it's not going it's there. not going there. So like yeah, it's painful, mm-hmm. but. I'm not going to force or Mm -hmm. settle, especially because it's just going to like start that same cycle over again of things that they haven't realized and learned for learn from. And then I'm going to start talking about these healing tactics and things that we have to implement to heal our relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be people who are like, I've never done anything wrong. I just, right. right? Right, So it's again, overextending myself Mm -hmm. over like giving grace to people who don't, who don't know how to like take it and like do something with it. Like, right. That's um, fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. And sometimes you need to kind of preserve. Yeah. It's hard because I don't think anybody wants to be in this situation. Yeah. But when it comes to like healing, the first thing that I learned through like this whole process is two things can be true at once. Like I'm happy about the decision that I made and I'm, I can see my life significantly changing, Mm -hmm. but still thinking about my past and like how my, relationships were left off that is painful and right. I, I like sit back sometimes and i'm like yo like i have amazing friends and you know i'm leading a dating life where i feel a lot more confident in it because yes. i thought about these things but i had to learn all these things and i'm able to get all these things because this is how bad things were for me and i like i was so physically and mentally exhausted i had to walk away and understand right. that like how bad that was i no longer want to see that in my like future life and that's how i got about like through it Mm-hmm. right yeah like i hit so rock bottom hard not to go to, back yeah yeah like yeah. i yeah. yeah yeah like the heartbreak that comes from like being at rock bottom and then like seeing yourself yeah. go back to into it is yeah yeah, yeah that's, it's a lot okay no it's fair i completely yeah. understand and yeah. like thank you for sharing you know all that you've shared <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah before i let you go you know we're gonna switch segments up a little bit okay. is this but the fun part? yeah this is definitely the fun part we're gonna pick up the mood a little okay. bit but i definitely just want to say that like i really I appreciate your honesty and transparency. Like, obviously, this is something that's close to you. Yeah. Very personal. Um, and I think we handled this with grace. Honestly, yeah. Like, I really... I don't feel like anybody has tea on me exactly. right now. Exactly. You know how, like, certain, well, like, YouTubers are putting up their, their yeah. pastor's... Inf- the daddy that is our pastor's information. I think, no. Yeah. You're, not, you're not getting that from me. Leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So, um, yeah. So, four questions I'm going to ask you. You know, we're going to end this off on a light note. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, without thinking too hard, I just mm-hmm. want to know the answer that comes to mind. So... I think you've answered this one before, but I'm always interested. I'm a music girl. So yeah. what is your favorite genre of music? It's still Neo Soul. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, last time you said R&B slash soul. No, so now it, we say Neo like Soul? R- R&B, Neo Soul. soul. We talked okay, about okay. this. Yeah, it's yeah, all it's, like it's a, kind of like, there's a flow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's fair. That's Maybe like add French rap in there now. I ooh, didn't say that last time. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Okay. It really goes hard. <laughs> we, <Yo>. we, <laughs> we, we, so we. <laughs> <laughs> No, because French is my first language, and so I started listening to a little bit more. And like the wordplay goes hard. Oh, that's sick! It really goes hard. Yeah, okay. It's a simple language, so if you do it well, (laughs) you guys there. That's fair. That's fair. I did did French until grade nine, and then I stopped. You guys know it's not a simple language. No, it's not. Especially when they don't teach you the practical French, but they want to teach you like verbiage and why a chair is masculine and feminine. I don't really. Yeah, like it has to be colloquial. (laughs) So like these people are using slang to. To do it. it. Okay. It. Um, okay. Are you where you thought you'd be 
at this point in your life. No. And I feel like based on our conversation, <laughs> not at yeah. all. Not at all. But I'm mm-hmm. really glad that I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. That's good. I think at 22, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I feel grown now. Oh. But then um, <laughs> when I realized that like, I felt like an adult, that's when I just dropped everything. I had no expectations for anything. I was yeah. Like, just winging it. Mm-hmm. Just winging it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there at this point too, yeah. girl. <laughs> um, okay, next question. So you travel a lot. You travel a lot for work, you know, and for leisure. Yeah. And I'm trying um, to get that leisure up, though. Girl, need to get the leisure up. Yeah. Because the work Don't is really flying you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to know your must-dos or your must-haves when you're traveling. Must-dos? I don't do it yet. Pack in advance. Don't be packing the <laughs> night before. It's actually really stressful. <laughs> Yo. Um, must-haves, I will say headphones always. Ooh, so definite. have like a variety of like your chargers for your like wireless headphones. Also, I... I recently bought this thing from Amazon where it's like, um, you know, on the plane where you're like listening to uh, the movie. Yeah. It's usually a cord, uh, a cord yeah. headphone. If you don't have one, it's a thing that you put in it and it connects to Bluetooth with to your AirPods or your Beats. So oh. you don't have to have the cord on there. So that is a must have. Okay. And also moisturize. There's no reason you need to be looking at actually getting off on the plane. On the plane. Yeah, that's smart. That's really good. That's really, really great. <laughs> that's funny you said that because my next uh, and final question for you is what is your favorite beauty item? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Moisturizer. Of course. But I think that's just like black people. We appreciate a good moisturization. Yes. Agreed. But uh, <laughs> if not moisturizer, exfoliants. I really like physical Ooh, ones. Oh, yes. Physical exfoliants. Yeah. I know they say you shouldn't use them all the time. No. I agree. But, but like, I feel like, like the week, physicality of it is like oh, yes, massaging. Just, and I yes. can see that it's exfoliating. I can see the glow after. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, those are all the questions I have for you. Uh, thank you so much. These conversations always go so quick. I'm yeah, so sad. I know, right? But we're gonna have more. Yeah, and you're gonna, you are an honorable member of the Borderline Podcast and the No Media. You are So we're gonna keep having these conversations. But you know, it. before I let you go, share you know your socials, your p- yeah. culture page, your businesses, and let people know how they can connect with socials, you. Socials, although it's locked. Instagram, it's just, just Estelle. Um, I'm also actively using TikTok a little bit more. I like how casual it is. So it's yes. just a style as well. And um, those are the two things you can find me on. And then if you need any balloons, I'm not doing them right now. But I might sway but Pop Culture Studios for decor inspiration if you need any. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming by again, love. I appreciate you. I appreciate for real, Right, so that brings us to the end of this podcast episode. Thank you all for tuning in and listening to my conversation with Estelle, talking, you know, intergenerational impact, healing, and on moving forward. Be sure to, you know, stay connected with conversations and behind the scenes content on this episode on our Instagram page at BWDIK Podcast. Be sure to share the podcast with someone you feel will enjoy the content. Share with your auntie, your mama, your stepdad, share with everyone <laughs> in your community. And of course, you know, be safe, enjoy the summer, get outside, (laughs) take care of yourself and your people, and you'll hear from me real soon. Bye for now.